at rest, held in those nail pierced strong hands that will hold us and see us through. Lord, even now, before we get to your word, will you minister from heart to heart, from seat to seat? For those with a weary head today, those with a weary spirit, those this morning that are asking you, God, why, Lord? Why, Lord, am I going through this? Why is this happening? For those that have been crying out in the small hours of the night, Lord, I can't take much more. Oh, Spirit of God, will you come? Will you minister deep to deep where man's words cannot reach? Spirit of God, will you come? We invite you to come this morning and minister to the very deep recess of the soul. Father, this morning again we thank you that no matter what has gone on in our lives today, one thing we know without a shadow of a doubt we are loved. We are loved by the most high, gracious God. Bless the Lord. Church, if you take your seats and um, if you could keep your Bible open this morning at Acts 23 and 24. Um, we're, we're going to be greedy this morning and we're going to do two chapters. Um, our study's coming near the end. Just a wee thought just um, to say that don't forget Monday night is 7.30 at Sweet Sound or over at the Inspire Centre. And Wednesday night we're meeting here at 7.30. Do pray for good weather. Don't forget today also starts 21 days of prayer and fasting. And... Um, we pray that the Lord will bless you in this time and that you will draw nearer and that we will see Almighty God move mightily among us. Now, this morning, church, I won't be reading um, all of this. I hope as I minister to you this morning that we'll cover all of this without me reading all of it. It's quite long. Um, but I do pray today that it will be a help to you as we look at these verses. But just to recap, remember last week we looked at how Paul was getting it rough as a believer. The Jewish people were coming against him because of his faith that he was getting it rough. Even to the point there was mistaken identity. Just to try and cause trouble. You know, even they were spreading all sorts of rumors about Paul to try and bring Paul down. And even the Roman soldiers, they had a mistaken identity with them. And they were saying, aren't you that fella that took 4,000 people into the Egyptian wilderness? You're an Egyptian and took them into the wilderness. Totally not who Paul was. But we looked at ourselves. I hope nobody ever mistakes us to be not what we're supposed to be. I don't know if you remember this, and it used to be said an awful lot, but if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Yeah? If we were arrested today and brought in for questioning for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? 
Are we people who really are sold out for Jesus and everybody knows who we are? There was mistaken identity, and then Paul identified with the people, even though the people were coming against him. Paul stood and he said to these people, look, I know where you're coming from. I know why you don't understand what I am saying to you today, because once I was like you, I hated the people of the way. I hated the Christians. I went out to kill these people until he had his own personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that was the third point that we looked at Sunday morning, how he identified with Jesus Christ. But it was in his identification with Jesus Christ became then his biggest trouble. And you know, friends, the truth of it is, when we identify with Jesus, there will be people who will not understand us. There will be people who will come against us. There will be people who will try to make fools of us because of our love for the Lord Jesus. But if we deny him before man, the Bible says he will deny us before God. And that is a part of the call of our lives. Now here in chapter 23 and chapter 4, Paul carries on and he's facing more. In fact, over the next three or four chapters, we're going to see that Paul is really in hot water and an awful lot come against the Apostle Paul. And here in this chapter, we see Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish Supreme Council. They're the big lads. They're the ones that everybody feared. They're the top boys at the head of their religion. And here he's pulled in before these men, most of them aged, over the age of 30 married men, and they were the council for the Jewish society. And he's in Caesarea, and then taken to Caesarea, sorry, and he stands before then the governor of Caesarea, a man called Felix. Now, if you took time this morning when you go home and you read chapter 23 and 24, we could just read it that and think to ourselves, that's just a lot of historical events. A lot of historical events. But friends, I believe God's word's alive. I believe God's word is written with purpose. I believe that it's not just historical facts here, but I believe, as I hope, as you will see this morning as we go through this, there are things that we can learn in this. As we walk with God, as we talk with God, when we go through opposition in our lives, and I know sometimes we talk about persecution in our land, but we know nothing of persecution compared to those that are in other lands. But in these passages, there are some wee nuggets that will help us if ever that does come to the country that we live in. In chapter 23, verse 1 to 5, we see Paul goes to defend himself in front of the high priest, a guy called Ananias. And um, the high priest orders him to be struck in the mouth. Not lovely. Had him a dig in the gub. Now, I know a few of us sometimes would love to give somebody a dig in the gub, but we know as Christians apparently we can't do that, <laughs> which is the downside of our faith. But there you go. You're not allowed to do that. And Paul comes back. And Paul says to this man, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you remember Jesus also said of the Pharisees? You whitewashed walls. It comes from Exodus, or sorry, Ezekiel 13 and 10, where um, it was referring to the hypocritical rulers of the land who who were compared to whitewashed walls in the sense of they were the tombs. Jewish people weren't to touch death because it made them unclean. But what they used to do, and they still do in lands like that, they paint the outside of the wall white. It's not just so it looks pretty, 
but it's to warn people of what's behind there, that it's death, and you're not to touch that place. And what he was saying is, on the outside, you all look white and sparkly and everything's right, but inside you, there is death. There is corruption. There's something not right inside of you. And Aeneas was a notorious glutton. Now, man, East Point man, who were at Cosmos on Wednesday night. Let's just say what happened to Cosmos stays in Cosmos. Because if I'm pointing the fingers, a few point them back. <laughs> but he was, he was a notorious glutton. He stole from priests. He had used every political um, rule in the book to try and enlarge his power. But after someone actually told Paul, you've just struck out at the high priest. Now remember, Paul had really bad eyesight. The high priest would have been noticed because of what they wore. But because of Paul's eyesight, he didn't realize that who was speaking to him was actually the high priest. And here we see then Paul apologizes for the way he spoke to this chief priest. But why? It comes from an Old Testament principle, Exodus 22 and 28, which says, Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Now, Paul's a New Testament, obviously Christian, and yet he's doing something from the Old Testament. I think there's something that we can learn from that. And I think it teaches us that we need to respect someone's office of authority, even if we maybe personally don't respect the person. But we should respect their office. And the Apostle Paul was saying this, even though this man had come against them, even though this man was wrong, and Paul was probably, was right in what he was saying about the man, but when he heard who he was, Paul apologized. Psalm 105 verse 15 says, don't touch God's anointed. Now, this verse, let me say, church is over-egged. Sometimes men of God and preachers use this verse as a way to say, you can never disagree with me, or you cannot challenge me. That's not what it means. It means you cannot come against the servant of God in a way that will hurt them and bring them down. It doesn't mean to say that you cannot, and anybody who is a servant of God and loves God will be open for people if they are struggling with something doctrinally or with church life, should have an open heart to realize that that person is maybe struggling with something and should be able pastorally to sit down with that person. It should not be seen because you don't agree with everything that maybe has been preached or everything that is said, that that is somebody coming against you personally. But what we do need to watch is this church, our spirit and how we challenge someone. That our conversation and how we put it across is not hurtful or will cause offense to somebody. And here even Paul took that Old Testament principle and he was using it in the first century church. Remember even Saul and David from the Old Testament David could have. At one point, David was so close to Saul, he could have taken him out, and he cuts a wee bit of his garment. Sorry to talk about this this morning, but Saul was relieving himself. He was in a very vulnerable position. And Paul easily could have taken him out, but he just took a wee part of his garment to let him know that he was there. 
But Paul would not touch God's anointed because it was for God to remove him, not him. Remember what Jesus said? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God. We're told to pray for those in authority. We're supposed to respect those in authority. And you know, sometimes, whether that be within church or within the climate we live, sometimes I hear politicians say some things, and I totally disagree with what they say, but I will do what the Bible says, and the Bible says pray for those that are in authority. Pray for those that lead you. We may not always agree with them, but we should show them respect and we should pray for them and seek God for them. And even this morning, church, this is a big day for us as church. As there are two elders being put forward this morning for us as a church, can I get you to turn to Scripture in your Bible or switch your, your phone on and, and look at this? Um, and the Scripture's Hebrews 3 and 17. And I think this is timely for where we are this morning. And it says this, have confidence in your leaders. I think we have a good system at the moment. Sorry, that should be Hebrews 13, maybe. Did I say Hebrews 3? Sorry, Hebrews 13 and 17. Have confidence in your leaders. I think we need to have also confidence in the system that we have just now of bringing leaders forward. I think we have a good system in the sense of, you know, we are praying, we're fasting, we've searched scriptures, we've brought names forward, we've asked you to pray and fast, and this morning we're asking you to put a vote of love towards these people that you should have been praying for, seeking God, looking at the scriptures, all of those things. So let's have confidence. And that's what I'm going to say to you, church, this morning. When we then put these people forward, and I hope you do put them forward, because I have confidence in them, church. And I hope you put both these people forward this morning, because I, as your pastor, have confidence in them. I think they're going to be good for this house. But here's the thing this morning. Whatever way this goes today, then we have to say God's hand is in it and have confidence in the process of it, also have confidence in them and their leadership and be behind them. And it says, submit to their authority. And I hope and pray that you've journeyed along with us enough to realize we're not running around wanting to tell everybody what to do. But where is our authority? Authority as leaders only comes from one place, and that's the Word of God. That's where the authority comes from. It's when a leader brings direction for God's word in your life. And then that's where it's saying, submit to that. You will not always agree with everything a leader will do. There are certain things in Scripture that are black and white, and we know without shadow of a doubt, that's what we do. But we also, and we've talked about this in church, there are multiple ways of how we could maybe do stuff. Even how the process of choosing leaders, we looked at that one Sunday, there are multiple ways of how we could even do that. But this is where the confidence comes in. You then, when something is chosen, our leader decides we're going to go this way, then, friends, even though there may be three or four different ways, we could argue all day about how to get to the same place, you have to have the confidence and go with them. You have to get behind them, and you have to walk behind them, and you have to encourage, as they try to encourage words, because each leader will know this. We will give a greater account of ourselves before God than those that are not in leadership. 
We need to take leadership seriously. We need to pray about our decisions. We need to realize the people are following us. Therefore, we need to be careful in what we do. But here's a wee line I want you to get this morning in this. It says this, Do so that their work will be a joy. In every church that I have been, and every pastor that I talk to, there's always seems to be in every church one person that seems to appoint it themselves to be the person to correct the pastor on everything in church life. And it always seems to be the same situation where the person has never been in leadership themselves, but always seem to know better than the pastor. They've never done theological training, but yet they seem to know better than the eldership of the church. And they want to have influence on other people. And yet the Bible tells us this, make it a joy for those. Again, I'm going back to what I said in a minute ago, touch not your eye. It does not mean that any leader cannot be approached or any leader cannot be rebuked or any leader cannot be questioned to what they're saying because we are to be sensible believers and look at the word. And if there was ever anything that we were doing contrary to the word, we, you have the right as much as those other leaders that are around about them and it should possibly come from those other leaders around them, first of all, to challenge someone and they're thinking of what they're doing. They're not above reproach. Accountability is good. Accountability makes sense. Accountability will protect the flock and those who are leaders will be willing to be in mutual submission so that the flock is protected. But are we following in such a way that will cause leaders to have joy? Or do we feel in every corner we're having to put up this argument or that argument or the other argument just to prove a point? Do you know what the Scripture says? Yes, it is wearisome sometimes for the leader. But listen to this last line, because that would be of no benefit for you. It would be of no benefit for you. We need to have an open heart to those that God has set with us to care for us, to lead us, and to pray for them and encourage them and help them along the way. Because leadership, friends, isn't always easy. I know I could make a decision today for the church and would suit 10% of you, and you would love me for making that decision. I know that 90% of you would be up in arms. And yet some people might be lobbying and say, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that. And I know as a pastor that because of where people are at, and maybe you don't see that, but I see that, that that would be difficult for them. Leadership's not always easy. And that's why we would encourage you to pray for your leaders, be behind your leaders, and encourage them in the Word of God as they encourage you to. We've all a part to play, haven't we? Amen. Then we go on verses 6 to 11. And Paul would seem to be putting the cat among the pigeons here. Because Paul, in the midst of all of this, starts talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think Paul was being a wee bit naughty. Now, I know you're not going to believe this of me. But see, when I was a wee boy at home on a Wednesday night, when my mommy used to go to the Bible study, my sisters are twins and they were left in charge. And of course, Avon, the older one, by five minutes, was the dominant one. 
So as soon as mother was out the door, of course, Yvonne took charge. And normally it was me that got it. And of course, then Marina would have looked at her wee brother, look at that wee face. And she would have stuck up for her wee brother. And then those two would have been at it. You leave him alone. You're always picking on him. And I would have watched them like a tennis match. And then, of course, and this is where I was a wee bit naughty, when my mum came through the door, I know you're not going to believe it off me, I'd be like, Mommy, our Yvonne was picking on me. <laughs> and then I would watch her and my mommy at it for a wee while. You leave him alone. Blah, blah. And I was like, tell us much. My work here is done. That's what I would think every Wednesday night. You know. Paul was putting the cat among the pigeons. Because, you see, the Pharisees whom Paul was one of, or had been one of, they believed in the resurrection. They believed that you would rise from the grave. But the Sadducees, they didn't. Paul starts to talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and about that's why he was really on track. So they were sort of a wee bit at it and getting into argument over it. And, you know, it's sad today, all of these years later, we're still living where religious people are fighting over the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember 1984? Um, Hopkins was his name, I think. Um, David Jenkins, sorry, Bishop of X, Bishop of Durham, said that he didn't believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, the Archdeacon or the Archbishop of Wales said the same thing. I don't know if you caught on news recently as well there that um, a gentleman by the name of John, Dr. John Shepherd, the Dean of Perth in Australia, who was appointed to represent the Anglican Church in the Roman Vatican, had come out to say as well, I think in 2008, that he didn't believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as being bodily form. And all these years later, we see that there is these debates. Do you know in 2003, in the Anglican Communion, there was a poll taken and a third of their vicars did not believe in the resurrection and a half of them did not believe in the virgin birth. And yet Paul starts to bring out the resurrection. And church today, setting the reasoning of all that behind. I just want to encourage you today. You know, we prayed earlier on, and sometimes life is difficult, and life is hard. And all we want to do sometimes is to pursue maybe a wee bit of peace in this world, and a wee bit of enjoyment, and a wee bit of blessing, and things can be hard. But can I say to you, don't forget the day to come. Because if our Christ rose from the grave, there's a day coming, church. And what a day that's going to be when my Jesus, I shall see when I look upon his face. Church, there'll be a day when everything will be put right. We're living for that day. That is the hope within us, that when we will rise against person, we'll have no more sickness. We'll have no more pain. There'll be no more parting of the way. There'll be more, no more saying goodbye to people that we love because we will be alive and we will be a well in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's our hope. Oh, I'm glad I got at least one amen there. For a minute or two, I thought I was in the wrong church. Church this morning, that is our hope. 
We have that eternal point of view. And the day and the hour you get saved, church, we were brought into that new life of the resurrection and we will live forever and ever because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive again. We sung it this morning. The stone's been rolled away, church. He's alive and he lives with us. His resurrection life is within us. That power that raised Jesus from the grave is within us. And we will live eternally because of this is the hope of our faith. And friends, this morning, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has prepared for those that love him. We have absolutely no, no mind space to get in everything what God is going to have for you and me when we get there. We're going to end up there in a place of complete utopia, a place of great peace, a place of great love in the presence of our King of Kings. I love this one wee line. So Paul's having all these people argue with him, coming against him. And look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Not only did Paul get to meet Jesus on the road of Damascus, in the midst of one of his greatest trials, the Lord came and stood beside him. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you will also testify about me in Rome. He says, don't be worrying about where you are because I'm going to get you to where I want you to be. Don't be worrying about where you are today. I'm going to get you to where you're going to be. And friends, there's maybe some of you this morning and you're worrying about the situation you're in today and where you are. God's going to get you to where he promised. God's going to get you to where he wants you to be. And this morning, it would be lovely. And you know, I believe God can appear to us. He can send his angels. He can come and he can speak to us with an audible voice. But there's one thing we surely know is this. We know because of what the scripture says, he's standing at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us today. Whatever you're going through, he's interceding for you today. The Holy Spirit is his comforter. The Holy Spirit can come and speak. Our, our sister Esther on um, Saturday morning, she led us on a prayer time. She shared about times in her life where God spoke to her. And ways that she knew that it could only be God because God only knew. And it's great that we've got a living faith that God uses his word and the spirit of God to come and stand by our side and confirm his word is and speak over our lives to bring direction and bring peace even when we are in difficult situations. But let's, remember we talked a couple of Sundays ago about being determined in faith. Let's have the determination of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3, 16 and 18, it said that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. They made a positive confession of their belief in what God was able to do from your majestic hand. But look at this, verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up before us.
these young men had so much faith in their supernatural God, even to the point (laughs) that they still declared, if God does not show up today for us, we are still not going to do what you're going to do because they had faith and trust in their God. And some things that we walk through, we would say, Lord, I wish I could be like the Apostle Paul. I could do where you stand by my side this morning and you talking to me and you tell me what's going to happen. But we need to continue to have great trust in our God to believe that he is with us, that he will see us through and have faith in his goodness towards us. Then we read from verses 12 to 22 about a group of extremists that come against the Apostle Paul and his nephew comes to basically say, look, there's boys out there. Fortium, I think it was, took a, 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 a... The word's gone from me. They made an agreement to say they would not eat until they murdered Paul. But you know the sad thing was? Church, see some of the extremists, some of these that were involved in it, were supposed to be men of great character, men of God's word in the Judaism faith. And yet, people who were responsible for the law of God got themselves involved in this conspiracy, which was a shocking revelation of their character. I want to say this, church, this morning. Remember our hearts can trick us. But listen, what I'm going to say here, church, this morning. Religious people want to bring people down by their judgment. Be careful of someone who's always pulling somebody down or trying to tear someone down. But people in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what somebody might have done, no matter what they're doing, people who are in relationship with Jesus Christ, rather than trying to bring people up, always try to build them up in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've watched this over the years in church life. There are times when maybe somebody comes into church, they think different, they act different, and maybe rub people up the wrong way, and it seems to be the answer is, try and get rid of them. But our hearts should be, even when people fail, rather than using it as an excuse to get rid of someone, we need to have the heart of the Father and the love of the Son, and look at them and say, there's always possibility for grace. Yes, you'll get someone who'll come along your way who will always work against you, who will not be willing to have the Spirit of God speak into the eyes or come under the authority of God's Word. And there's not really much you can do. But for most people who are genuine, sometimes they just need somebody to come alongside and bring grace. These people saw Paul as a thorn in their side and they were supposed to be religious, godly men. And us as a community, let us always be a community of grace to realize we, people will not always agree with us. We may not always agree with them. People may do things that we don't want to do or shouldn't do. But let's realize that they too need grace. And that we can come alongside them to show them grace. That we keep a watch on our spirit as well. Because of the conspiracy, as we read into chapter 24, and I'm trying to fly through this this morning, we see that Paul then comes before Felix. 
And here's a wee thing that happens here in chapter 24. He brings, the high priest brings a lawyer with him to talk about the situation. And this lawyer was trying to be good with his words. And he starts to say, to praise, and how wonderful Felix is. It was an old farce, an absolute farce, and a lot of sickening rubbish. Because this man, Felix, all he did was beat down on the Israeli people. All he did was to cause havoc wherever he was. And this guy was basically trying to build him up and say about the wonderful period of peace. And you know what is amazing in life, isn't it? Who comes together to come against people who are righteous? People that even hate each other sometimes will come together to get their, their, their means met at the end. We need to stay free from that as well, church, and to be righteous, not to get into politics, but to do what is right, even in church life. And this guy, as he's trying to build up Felix, he was also trying to tear down Paul, trying to say how wonderful um, Felix was, which was a load of rubbish. But he was also saying about the Apostle Paul that he was a troublemaker, that he was a pest, that he was a leader of a sect from Nazareth. And the thing was, well, you know, wait, people, I heard this on the radio, and can I say for everybody that's listening to the tape, this is not my thoughts, I just heard it on the radio yesterday, and I'm sharing it with you. But the people seem to be very hard, and people from Larne, have you noticed that? Like, Larn, why would you, because Globby Jean is not with us this morning. Larn, what good comes out of Larn? The road to Belfast. <laughs> Father, would you? <laughs> oh, you're brilliant. <laughs> but it was a bit like that. What comes out of Nazareth? So down, what good can come out of Nazareth? He was a defiler of the temple. He brought a stranger into the temple. All these false accusations against the Apostle Paul. But here Paul quite calmly responds. Paul just says it as it is. And do you know why? Because Paul knew that his faith, that his life, was not in the hands of the lawyer, was not in the hands of Felix, was not in the hands of the high priest, but his life was in the hands of the great I, great I am. The Lord had stood beside him and he said to him, you will be in Rome. So Paul wasn't fearing his circumstance that day because God had said to him, you will be in Rome. And for you today, church, whatever circumstance you are, remember today your steps are ordained by God. Came across this wee scripture during the week. It said, Psalm 112, verse 7, they, who have, they have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So whatever's coming against you today, maybe it's not persecution, maybe it's just trouble at home. Don't fear the bad news. Because your hand, your life is in God. What God will bring you to, he'll bring you through. And we just need to have that trust in our mighty God. Paul is put under home arrest. 
And there's a couple of things around that, but I'm, I'm trying to fly through this. A couple of wee things around that. But just to say this wee thing in his home arrest, probably wasn't what he wanted to do because he ends up stuck in Caesarea for two years. And yet the Lord says to him, I want you to go to Rome. But he got to talk to people and he got people in and out and he had a bit of freedom and all the rest of it. And maybe today this is something for you. Maybe you feel stuck somewhere where you want it to be. Maybe in a relationship situation or a work situation, a job situation, and you feel you're stuck. Friends, have a bit of a rethink. If your steps are ordained by God, Maybe you're there because God hasn't finished his work there yet. Maybe God's not finished with you where you are just now. And he's more for you to do. And here, when Paul is stuck in this situation for two years, but Paul gets a two-year window to be able to preach three things to Felix and his wife, Drusilla. And here's the three things. Righteousness, self-control and judgment. I want to reassure you this morning to let us all know today there's only one way that we can be right and that is through the righteousness of Christ. We talked about the resurrection and the hope that we get. The only way we're going to see the resurrection, the only way we're going to live in the resurrection if we live in the righteousness of Christ. If we accept that we have failed, that we're sinners and that Christ is the only one that makes us right. That is how we live in the righteousness of God, that we deal with our past by the righteousness of what Christ did on the cross. Self-control, he preached this to this guy. A boy that this guy need to hear. Remember Felix? <laughs> he wasn't good to the Jewish people. He started so many things within it. In that area of Caesarea, he was a bad boy, but he had no self-control. See, Drusilla, Drusilla was a 17-year-old girl, his third wife. She had already been married before, and he stole her off another man. I think he needed to learn a wee bit of self-control, didn't he? And the Apostle Paul was telling him that we only allow no self-control when we have the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. And then finally, the judgment to come. The day had to be prepared for tomorrow's judgment. Do you know, church, we talked this morning about the resurrection and about what a day that's going to be. I can't wait to go to be with Lord Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But church, we need to be aware also. As believers, we will not be judged for our sin because that was dealt with with the cross. But we need to live with self-control. We need to live in righteous acts. We need to live right because God will judge the motives of our souls. He will judge our words. He will judge what we have used with our talents. He will judge us and he will either give or take away gifts from us on that day. Which means, church, we have to live in such a way that will bring glory to our great God. But we live in righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And do you know, friends, Paul was there for those two years. And we don't know if he succeeded. But we do know this, that both Felix and also Drusilla died in a volcano. An awful death. But maybe him being there those two years, there'll be a day we'll realize that the message that he taught was a message that maybe brought these people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We just don't know. 
but to close very, very quickly. None of us know what the future is going to hold. You know, we all set out this year, now we're into February, and we all started out this year with hopes and expectations, hoping that it'll be a great year and a better year. Some people did that in 2018 as well, and it was a horrible year. I heard a few people saying, I can't wait to see the back of this year. And yet in 2018, in January, they started out with hopes and aspirations. None of us know what can happen in our lives. But if there's one thing you can take away from this word this morning, it is this. God will be with you. He ordains the steps of the righteous. Nothing's going to happen to you this year that the Lord won't walk through that with you each step of the way. So church, let's live with the hope of the resurrection. Let's live knowing that God is with us, he's alive in us, and he will see us through for his honor and his glory. Amen. Amen. Bless you.